0: Listening to Burn and Return, a weekly one hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. With the DJ Scratch, that means we have entered another episode of Burn and Return. My name is Matt. Sometimes I go by the grass factor. Martin would be my last name. And alongside me, we have Mr. Ray Ito and Ryan DeMay, gentlemen. How are you doing? Let me ask. Uh, have your cell phones continued to work as they should with the passing of the Chinese hair balloon? Air balloon. I almost said hair balloon. Mm-hmm. A Freudian slip there for whatever reason. I don't know why. <laughs> Strange
1: things on my I was mind gonna right say, now. Hey, but can we can we change it to a Chinese hair pie? Maybe. I... <laughs> yes. Is that a fur ball? Uh...
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Why not? Or a hair um, bowl?
2: Or a hair bowl? <laughs>
0: this, is, this is getting into the. Uh, uh,
1: <laughs>
0: well, usually you touch. I hey,
1: yeah, well, well, I was going to say, usually you touch the balloons before you go for the hair pie, but oh, hey, sometimes you want to get down to business and scoot across you know, an entire continent before getting shot down over the ocean. Some people are a little as bit a, different.
0: As a fan of pies in general and uh, however they come or are delivered, I, I'll yes to all of them. Do you um, think uh
1: do you think Xi Jinping has a missile fetish? Maybe that's what this whole thing was about was just like you know like a really long edge session, and then Saturday he just like, oh, that's it, right there. Give me that aim nine x baby
0: i, I you know it, it's just the whole thing just it's it is so weird to me I, mean, I, I don't know why it strikes me as weird. it's just it's the fucking it's just weird, man. I don't know, it's strange. Uh, but I'll tell you what is not weird and it's what we're gonna be talking about in this week's headlines.
1: It was a terrible segue. I don't even know why. So, that's watching that. the film before the game's over.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first one here, how super bowl uh what what super bowl is this i gotta i gotta work on my 50, 57 57 57, 57. And i had to do my roman numeral math there i was like l before v wait v is five yeah, man, you took that, not, not roman. subtracting remember yeah I, my how am Here's i going to subtract 50 from five this is going to be negative negative uh super bowl <laughs> well, what would that be uh negative 40 negative 43 uh <laughs> uh 50 you using your order of 52, operations here negative 42. Negative 42 Super Bowl uh, puts a spin on a uh, 43. Actually, I still fucking up the math. Uh, put a spin on the classic grass field. The facility in Glendale, Arizona is one of the two NFL sites with the c- capability to grow its grass playing field outside and roll it inside ahead of the games. The Philadelphia Eagles takes on the Chiefs. Um. They will descend on Arizona State's Farm Stadium for Super Bowl uh, 57 and will get the chance to play on the newly grown side thanks to technology only in use by a few stadiums across the country. Uh, they have the ability to grow grass uh, outside and roll it inside ahead of the games. The $1.8 billion Allegiant Stadium. How many, how many gentlemen have you ever flown Allegiant before? I have not.
3: No, I, I haven't.
0: Ha- <laughs> I, have, I have once. And let me tell you, that is, that's the one flight I've ever been on where I carried a rosary and was praying the thing the entire day. <sighs> um, <laughs> I was so nervous. Was, driver,
1: was dryer in the le- driver in the left seat on that one? Was he? You know, look.
0: I wish <laughs> I probably would have been a hell of a lot more comfortable um, as he was <laughs> social social justo, justice warrioring me through the entirety of the flight. I still would have been more comfortable than <laughs> how I was with <laughs> wings full yeah. of jet a like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, fight he, that climate I, change. I, <laughs> there's there's a couple things here, right? Like I I uh, we have a rule. John Borden is never allowed to pick a uh, a hotel room because he has he has put us in some precarious hotels over the years. And the other thing too, is that he's not allowed to book flights anymore after booking the Allegiant flight. Now granted, it was like 50 bucks to go from Knoxville to wherever we ended up. I think, I think we were in Tampa or somewhere close to there.
3: I, but it was just,
0: it was nerve wracking, but uh, sketchy,
3: (laughs) sketchy. Apparently
0: what, what they lack in, uh, in, in feeling good about your flights, they make up for in, uh, in stadiums because we do have the $1.8 billion Allegiant stadium here. All that money that was saved on flight they sunk into the stadium uh they roll out natural uh, a natural grass playing field uh, and it's contained in a single 40 inch deep trade measuring 234 feet wide and 403 feet long rolling on 546 steel wheels which rest on 13 railroad-like tracks the field travels the 740 feet inside or outside of the stadium uh state farm uh, stadium uses a hybrid bermuda grass and boasts that it was the first facility in North America to incorporate a retractable playing surface for the grass. It does so to take advantage of the maximum sunshine and nourishment in the usually warm desert sun. It's called Tahoma 31 Bermuda grass. Ooh. Shout out to Oak state. <laughs> uh, we grow this on plastic. The reason we do this is to kind of trap the roots of the grass, uh, and it makes it stronger, not only for the players, but also for the halftime show, which sometimes could be 6,000 to 10,000 pounds for the stage. Uh, despite the desert location, precipitation is possible year-round, with the regional seeing its heaviest uh, rainfall during the monsoon season. So, here we go. Uh, it, anyway, I, you know, Ryan, I know this is kind of kind of your area here, and you have probably more experience with Tacoma 31 than any anybody uh, that that I'm I'm close with, and uh, and so you know, I get, share share with me here some interesting things you, you see about this in general, uh, and then two um uh the, the future of these retractable uh field-like Ooh. systems here and what that means for uh the player safety is going to be the big the big thing i'm interested in here because i, I think that's well, where the biggest gain is with this type of system
1: yeah that i will save that part for the burns because there's a pretty interesting one that that kind of buffers this one this article out but okay. Okay. on the on the tahoma side i would say that uh You know as we have uh better and better grasses in like this year for example uh soldier field where the chicago bears play you know they had probably what was considered the worst natural grass playing surface up until this year uh they always played on kentucky bluegrass which you know is fine as long as you can manage it correctly and you've got the right uh you know infrastructure in place to do so they switched this year to tahoma and then ended up switching the field out about midway through the the season which is typical uh you know of an nfl stadium uh to an to tahoma and field played great it was one of the better playing surfaces they you know they had some tough games there in terms of weathers uh, the first game of the year was literally a monsoon there was in like inches of water on the grass um and the playing surface like right before the game grass held up just fine the field held up just fine it just took a while for it to drain that was all but uh you know, some cold weather games, things like that. So I think what people are discovering is that, uh, from a, you know, a footing standpoint, a safety standpoint, especially on this kind of stuff that's growing on plastic. So if you can imagine, um, you know, like a, a potted plant, you know, you pull it out of that container that you buy it at it, you know, Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever. And those roots are just all bound up right there along the edges. That's what growing sod on plastic does is it makes it really, really root dense so that when you go, roll it all up and then unroll it and then play on it three or four days later. And in this case here for the super bowl, they've put this field in as soon as the regular season was over. So it's had a lot of time to kind of knit together and, and be, uh, you know, a good stable surface, but you know, they're using this stuff and sodding it and playing in less than seven days, uh, pretty much every, you know, every week of the year past like week seven, week eight, for sure. Sometimes a little bit sooner. So yeah, so it's, you know, this kind of technology is really cool but i'd say even at you know the lower levels where we don't do that kind of stuff it's it's a hell of a surface um it's a it, you know it's a hell of a, a, a thing to have into your back pocket in terms of the durability of it everything like that so i hate to sound like a show but you know we've we've used other kinds of uh bermuda grass too iron cutter you know from mountain view good product there too uh mm-hmm. but we'll see what happens we'll see what happens i think more people are going to take notice of what they did in chicago uh this is tahoma's first trip to the super bowl so uh no more bullshit. 419 right ray
3: that's right no more 419 <laughs> no more oh my favorite uh, <laughs> legacy variety was called center
1: i don't know that one that, see i, I think know, we, I we, we need okay i that was the that us. was
3: the variety uh in the 1980s and it, it was doing so quickly no it was quickly abandoned because (laughs) it just couldn't hold up it just couldn't deal i mean it's not hardy and i'm guessing that between nematodes and take all patch i don't know of any sun turf lawns in hawaii anymore because in another time home depot and lowe's were selling pieces of sun turf sod so that people could break it up into Plugs and plug that into their lawns, but uh, I don't know of any center lawns in existence. Likewise, I don't know of many 419 or Tisdorf lawns here either.
1: Ray, have you ever seen I the movie? Know. uh Have you ever seen the movie Billy Madison? Yes, I have. I think I we need to movie. do a segment. You, you remember Steve Buscemi's character, where he's the he's the guy that ends up shooting Carl at the end, or whatever. I think we should do a yes, whole yes. segment of list of grasses that you want to kill and just make them go away forever we'll even let matt we'll put centipede on there for matt just as a as a whole species right put centipede
3: on there yes but then you know what between matt and i we would have a grass in common that we think shouldn't exist
1: oh boy aside
3: from centipede
1: okay what is it zeon Yes. oh yes i was worried about where you were going
0: with that ray i was like wait one that we agree on yeah 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 (laughs) xeon no i'm with you there
3: yeah in ha in in fact in fact matt uh as a as a a quick aside i have a customer where after having a xeon Zoisha lawn for the past five years he's having to redo his grade and do some reconfigurations in his landscape and this guy is going to be installing a tahoma thirty one lawn in in place of his Xeon.
0: I I, I I just was going to gonna say, say I feel sorry for him that he had to go through the pain that is Xeon <laughs> Georgia, but and you know, honestly, I don't because I just I don't know. Part of actually,
3: just, actually, I feel nothing. We, we did quite no, I I did quite well with it, but uh, he had points where. You know he had to ask me hey uh when is this going to start looking you know okay again because i've had to do you know scalps on it uh i found out that it couldn't tolerate certain herbicides and the only way to even live with xeon is basically california suicide. rates of cutlass cutlass i had to keep it on california rates of cutlass
0: I was just because... going to get into the bathtub and, uh, cut my wrist and, and just bleed <laughs> it out and let someone else take it. It's oh, man. it my management <laughs> strategy. <laughs> oh, man. Gonna... No. I, I don't know <laughs> if I'm allowed to say that <laughs> on air. <laughs> all right, JP, can you go ahead and, and, uh, uh, post postpartum bleep that? Thank you. Right, right, uh, <laughs> I think that'll work. They'll forgive me for that. A uh, hundred million people are at risk right now at risk for what? The hidden cost of soaring fertilizer prices that is. Um, the conflict in Ukraine has resulted in the blockading of significant amount of wheat, barley, and corn. However, researchers have found that the reduced food exports from the region have a lesser impact on food price increases than previously feared. A study led by University of Edinburgh indicates the primary driver of food insecurity in the coming decades will be the significant increase in energy and fertilizer prices. Until now, how Ener- Ener- energizer. That's a, a, a merge between energy and fertilizer price rises and export restrictions affects future global food prices was poorly understood. There has been a uh, little analysis to quantify the scale of harm that hikes in the price of food could have on human nutritional health and the environment. They use a global land use computer model to simulate the effects of export restrictions and spikes in production costs of food prices, health and land use until 2040. It suggests the combined effect of export restrict- restrictions, increased energy costs and mid 2022 fertilizer prices, which are three times higher than at the start of the previous year, could cause food huh. costs to rise by 81% in 2023 Jesus. compared to 2021 levels. Oh, um, the export restrictions account for only a small fraction of the simulated price rises, the team says halting exports from Russia and Ukraine would increase food costs in 2023 by 2.6% while spikes in energy and fertilizer prices could cause a 74% rise. Food price rises would lead to many people's diets becoming poor, the team says. Uh, the findings suggest that uh, there could be up to 1 million additional deaths and more than 100 million people undernourished if high, high fertilizer prices continue. Uh, the greatest instances of death would be in Sub-Saharan Africa, North Africa, and the Middle East. Um, the modeling estimates that sharp increases in the cost of fertilizers, which are key to producing higher yields, would greatly reduce their use by farmers without fertilizers, more agricultural land is needed to produce world's food. The team says so it goes on and on. Uh, and one thing I do want to stress here is that this is modeling, right? So th- this is not what's going to happen in 2023. But, uh, what, what we see is that if, if we took into account, for instance, no exports had a Russia or Ukraine and, uh, and just focus on, um, uh, uh, spikes in energy and fertilizer prices at a, at a, uh, a global scale, uh, not just primarily being in, uh, uh, in Western and Eastern Europe, but however, expanding that globally, then we would see food prices increase by 74%, which is astronomical. Now, I will say this, and gentlemen, you can, you can come in here. One thing I have noticed is that on a weekly grocery bill, and this is for a four-person household, two kids, and, uh, and two adults, mm-hmm. our, uh, uh, a, a grocery bill went up with the exact same thing we've been buying for the last, oh, I don't know, eight years, I guess. And, uh, it went up 33% this year. Uh, and, it, and that is, I, I track it pretty, pretty religiously for budgeting purposes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, without a doubt, it is almost dead nuts, com- extremely consistent at 33% across the board. Um, and and we were actually relatively uh, shielded from a lot of the, the chaos that went on where people were catching, you know, all of a sudden a heating bill for a, a small or medium-sized processor in Europe <laughs> went from, you know, we'll say $200 a month to all of a sudden, you know, $1,800 a month, right? And could you imagine what it would be like here in mainland U.S. for a food processor, for, a food processor and say they're averaging five grand a month on uh, on on uh, just electrical utility, and then three thousand a month on natural gas usage. And then if you took that same factorial rise of uh, of you you know, we'll say six hundred percent or something, what what does that end up doing? I mean, that would just be it'd be crippling. And of course, that gets passed on to us, right? And then and then what happens? I don't want to live through that personally, but. <laughs> I think knowing that what that potential looks like, and in this particular instance, and this is with just numbers that we experienced this past season, if it was at a, a little bit of a larger scale across the world, 74% and what, what that looks like. So now imagine your grocery bill going from say it's $200 a month to now all of a sudden. It's uh, not 300, it's now $600 a month. What, what, what does that do? What does that look like for you? So I don't know. It's kind of been, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about.
1: Yeah. I think the, uh, the, the thing that doesn't take into account, right. Is we, this is taking into account what we know what we've learned over last year, but we, nobody, uh, I don't think this told us anything other than quantified a little bit better that we didn't already know and the concern i have is just that you can't model uh like did they model that there's you know somewhere between three Time's and five hundred thousand troops at the border of ukraine right now russian troops that are amassed and ready to you know execute an offensive sometime in the next you know one to three months I, you know that's the kind of stuff nope. that it's it's important to understand context and i'm not like ridiculing the article i'm just saying that uh if, they're right you know the the energy prices the fertilizer prices are going to continue to drive so much of what goes on and people that are bitching i don't even think they realize the problem i you know it, it, and i don't know how you get that through to people i don't know what the answer is in terms of um you know it's not really something that we can onshore a lot of this type of you know manufacturing or raw material mining or any of that kind of stuff so it's going to have to become, you know, sort of, a, a, I think a little bit more creative, uh, in the technology space of, you know, what can we do? Can we, you know, it, it, you know, they're talking about having more land to grow, you know, the same amount of food essentially here in the article. But, uh, is that really practical right here in the States and what do uh, we do nope. here? So I, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, know guys. I
3: mean, this is, this is just, uh, where i have to call into question this idea of upending what works or what has been working in favor of some environmental initiative or environmental initiatives i mean i i got a question because here's my grocery bill uh and going from you know the covid crisis to now, it seems like uh I can corroborate your 30 something percent increase Matt I can corroborate it and the whole thing about this increased grocery bill is I gotta figure that into my electric bill doubling and my natural gas Ouch. bill doubling on on top of that. I mean, it is literally double. See, double. I, mine is and not. no, my my mine doubled. And of course, that is because I am in one of those states where uh people's lives be damned. It's more important to be environmentally correct. Because did you all know that a The electric plant got knocked offline on our island strictly for environmental purposes because it was a coal burning plant just (laughs) for that and this is in the this is in the face of us going through these you know issues and you know what guys i gotta know what is it going to be like electricity wise come about i want to say april or may because do you know what happens to our electrical needs come april or may when it's hitting 90 degrees
0: yeah uh, big demand
3: huge demand yeah
0: yeah
2: so
3: yeah uh...
0: <laughs> you know and and thankfully thankfully that we're going to get rid of gas stoves and that's gonna that's gonna offset a lot of this <laughs> and uh and then we won't have anything to worry about uh, but you know who does have something to worry about? The Lake George Park Commission. Oh, uh, those sons because of oh, oh no! I, I know Gwendolyn Craig here is just absolutely melting down inside that uh, once more she has to write about it because. Um, Lake George has not given up on attempting for chemical treatment for Eurasian uh, water MILF oil. And uh, as as a mm-hmm. person who is married to an Asian who's uh, who's older than he is, I, I gotta say I'm a giant fan of MILF oil, but I do understand the need of uh Asian <laughs> MILF oil. But I do understand I do. the need for uh, uh uh herbicide applications in this in this type of scenario. Uh the Lake George Park Commission is applying to the Adirondack <laughs> Park Agency and State Department of Environmental Conservation. To use procella core ec on heavy infestations infestations of the invasive species on the eastern shore of blair's bay in hague and Sheep meadow bay near uh, hewlett's landing uh, it is the same permit the park commission applied for and was granted last year executive director david wick confirmed the expo- uh, confirmed for the explorer uh, as part of a proposed pilot to see if the herbicide could be used more widely in the wet in the lake uh, the park commission has officially applied to the dec and it's working on an application for the APA. Then uh, it goes on to describe the issues with the uh, Eurasian water milfoil and, and the, uh, um, uh, its impact it has on uh, uh, lake quality and the, in the uh, uh, downstream effects of what ends up happening as it proliferates uh the lga water keeper and thousands of concerned citizens expressed great concern last year that the park commission was proposing the first ever use of a chemical herbicide of the lake without full understanding of the potential consequences to the lake's water quality and the ecosystems And many people use the lake as a drinking water source the lake association said so it goes on to talk more and more and more about it uh you know like i said they were clear to be able to do this for the first time now they're like all right that worked let's go just a little bit more aggressive with it but again you know, what you have to look at this, um, uh, from, from both sides of the aisle, I think it does need to be analyzed from both sides of the aisle here is, uh, what happens if it is not rectified. Right. And I think one of the things that, that is non-deniable that, uh, that, you know, our, our, our biologist friends have been able to put together is, um, the, the, the effect of not treating this, uh, becomes a major, major issue. And so again, I, I, understand the apprehension, however um, and I'm, I'm going to use the word science in this instance that the body of evidence that we have gathered up to this point um, not just from this particular scenario but applications of this particular herbicide for this particular issue um, across the United States is uh, does the um, uh, is the benefit worth the risk
1: in my opinion yes but you know we'll, uh, we'll see everybody else has to say i just uh, here's my thing and and i know this is a microcosm of it and we've talked about these folks before uh in you know the pearl clutching they've done everything like that but you know this is a an invasive pest right in in a uh, mm-hmm. habitat in a ecosystem like this and i just i don't understand the sanctimonious bullshit i really don't i, I, I don't get it know, either in, ryan <laughs> in so far as You have people whose job it is, is to protect this ecosystem, right. Who again are faced with choices that are somewhere between, you know, really good to awful, you know, depending on the situation and circumstances here. And time and again, you've got folks that have no scientific background, no experience in these types of matters that inject themselves in these situations. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't be heard, right? You know, sometimes those concerns are valid and sometimes the perception of what they need to say needs to be said, but at some point, somebody needs to make a decision, you know, to the contrary. And in this case here, this is a really interesting one because they've got a court, they've had judges side with, well, Mm. mm, I don't know about the science here guys like that. That's the part that just really, really gives me the red ass gentlemen,
3: you know, ryan i get the same reaction too where who okay how many attorneys or legal people with the exception of maybe jesse busquet would maybe be qualified to speak on such matters because they have no background in this area at all and instead the tendency is for them To side with the alarmists, and I'm going to call them this: the Luddites, who are so blindly anti-pesticide that they're simple. They're thinking simply, pesticide bad, regardless of the circumstance. And I think we went over on a previous show how the particular pesticide or herbicide being chosen. My goodness, I mean talk about an improvement because uh i was looking at an old text and, and one of the sections was on aquatic weed control ryan mm-hmm. and how's this one i saw suggestions for the application of sodium arsenite in a body of water for aquatic weed control can you imagine mm. no well, okay. Can don't we still have imagine, that I mean, well, Go ahead. Go ahead. and my my point is is that the, the authorities here are planning on using a herbicide that, to me, I look at it and I am not alarmed by its usage, and that says a lot because in a lot of cases you show me a herbicide and I'm going to be alarmed due to its. Uh, known toxic effects (laughs) so these people (laughs) what do they want I mean or I have an alternate idea how about this obstructionist woman you know what I'm gonna say okay lady uh get in your bikini it's time for you to start pulling weeds (coughs) out of this lake (laughs) okay (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, and You know, if, if, if they can aggregate the amount of labor it takes to do that, but you know, what would happen is the first day out there, they'd be like, wow, that is not what I signed up for. Um, and, hey, and, you know, and then we'd be back, back to square one and I don't know, I, it might yeah. change the, uh, yeah. maybe, maybe we can Wait insert you? a, uh, call a draft. We could call a draft to, uh, recruit people to mm. come harvest the Eurasian water milfoil. Um, or we yeah, just call I mean, it Asian I, milfoil and, and recruit all the neckbeards to come out mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, do whatever it is they do best. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, gentlemen, uh, we are going to transition here to our favorite segment of the week that we all know and love, and Joe knows turf.
2: <laughs>
0: Joe
3: knows turf. <laughs>
0: hi i'm joe i'm gonna give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today because joe knows turf (laughs) yes indeed he does and demay i'm sure on today's segment that you have something that we can all benefit from
1: oh absolutely (laughs) so i want to i want to start this segment by by addressing a few things number one is that, uh, this is not to pick on people. You know, uh, we, we, we've gotten some feedback that we're picking on people and you know what, we'll crack some jokes, we'll bust some balls, but the whole point is here to, uh, use people's, uh, mistakes, bad advice or, uh, poor performance to showcase a better way. I look at this much like a film session, Matt, after a hard fought victory or loss, you know, you gotta, Mm -hmm. you gotta be a little critical in those. And so that's what we're here to do. And, uh, you know, there's that. And then the other part is, is that, you know, uh, we name this after Joe because we love him, we respect him. And uh, the other thing is, is that Joe, Joe is, you know, um, pretty dense in the sense that, like, you're going to, it's going to take a lot to change his mind. And we're going to hear from somebody who I think is a lot in that same vein, uh, that it's going to take a lot to change your mind. So uh, this is actually from an interaction that I had. Now, listen, I have, I have a confession to make, gentlemen. I I gotta get it off my chest. I fucked up, and you know how I fucked up, Ray. I oh. saw a I saw a post on one of these internet Facebook groups, lawn care groups, mm-hmm. and ninety nine point nine percent of the time, I just scroll right past them. because I, I don't want to jump in, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't. I I jumped in. Ah. Oh.
0: No, Ryan, what you're why? going through when that happens to me i know it and
1: i'm gonna tell you what i felt I matt martin you. on my shoulder and I, sh- I heard matt martin on my shoulder every time i was like you know what i'm just gonna stop right here and then i had <laughs> matt martin on my shoulder sitting there saying you better go fucking get him you better pound this out you goddamn keyboard warrior <laughs> you are a fucking champion all right get in there and fucking do it that's what matt martin was sitting on my shoulder saying the whole time yes if you're yeah. gonna have an internet argument you better no goddamn well excuses. win excuses no fucking excuses <laughs> so let's go ahead and roll this and let's see what we got so Jay Pink has uh taken these screenshots that i've provided and we've we've blacked out the gentleman's name uh i do not want him to be doxxed you know uh i would just say that this is in a facebook group that is local to me ish and so oh, dear. Uh, the, the question mm-hmm. began uh that that somebody was having mole problems in their yard or a yard of somebody that they knew and they wanted to help them out and so quickly the topic set it on grubs right and and grub control so uh my friend keith here uh and i say my friend he's not really my friend but you know whatever uh it's a figure of speech uh so Keith, just uh, (laughs) i'll go ahead and read this for the audio only folks here keith is designated as one of the group experts in horticulture and gardening in this group that has about oh 1400 people in it okay So, uh, here's Keith, he says grubs are essentially part of the life cycle of June bugs and Japanese beetles. So you need to be cautious of the timing and when. My suggestion is to do a long-term insecticide like imidacloprid around June 1st and follow up if needed around September 1st with something like Dialox. Well, this is the part that got me kind of like, eh, that's interesting. Like, why would you use imidacloprid, which is, you know, sort of kind of going out of style for a variety of reasons. And then, you know, suggest that they, you know, if needed dialogues because you know there's a better way we know there's a better way all right so go on here we'll continue on the conversation i offer up this is where i jumped in matt this is where i fucked up right here this play this play this is right where that dn just ran right past my left tackle ass and just destroyed the quarterback broke his spine strip sack fumble Mm -hmm. and the guy went back for six all right so uh skip the midacloprid and use just growbacks and you're done uh is a active ingredient applied in late April to early May will provide season kong I screwed that up season kong control okay. uh and no dialux is needed. Uh Dilux Ray for those of you scoring at home uh is not something that I would recommend homeowners use if they don't have to for any specific reason, right? Because it is an organophosphate. Yes. It is pretty darn harsh <laughs> and the use cases in which you would use it and have it be effective uh in terms of watering in it immediately having the right uh you know dealing with you know if you have a lot of thatch and getting it through that thatch zone all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. one of those like touchy ones that the risk is not always worth the reward in many cases so keith uh being the group expert in horticulture and gardening here offers back i'm not a fan of chlorantranilipril it's a little weaker than imidacloprid needs to go down earlier and with our (laughs) what and with our wet springs that's too much of a chance a good application oh of merit, to me, is cheaper than grub with more residual kill on mass chafers, etc. Oh, I agree with yeah. not using dialogues if not needed. However, if seeing a sign of late-season animal grub damage, it's a quick 24-hour kill. All right, so there's a couple of things that kind of, uh, <laughs> like, again, threw, threw my red flags up, right? You know, uh, my bullshit radar is now you know, spiking, there's Chinese balloons everywhere Mm -hmm. on my radar. Okay. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: In in terms of it's a little weaker than a midocloprid as if, you know, uh, we're, we're trying to find out what our one rep max is on, you know, fucking grub insecticides. That's not the way this works. Okay. (laughs) Secondly, that, you know, it with, with our wet springs, uh, that it's too much of a chance. So I should have left it. I should have left it, but I didn't. Didn't. I jumped back in. I said, Hey, weaker in what way? Explain this to me, Keith, help me out here. So J Pink, go on to the next one here. All right. So here, Keith offers up again, being the group expert in horticulture and gardening that he is says that chlorantrinilipril is more of a contact insecticide versus imidacloprid, and that is a, which is a systemic insecticide. So the chances of it being effective is less, even though technically chlorantrinilipril lasts longer. It also does not bind well with the soil as compared what? to imidacloprid. <laughs> so the effectiveness and longevity is diminished, albeit slightly. I would still use a imidacloprid since its systemic ability works fairly well. Wow. <laughs> All right. So this is a, listen, this is where I'm going to get critical. So if you think that we're picking on people, plug your ears right now, beep this out, pretend that Jay Pink has muted me. But this is a <laughs> word salad of absolute bullshit none of this here means anything in the real world to people that do this professionally or that should be giving advice to people that don't do it professionally so i'll leave that there let's go on to the next one here real quick this is where you know it was time matt to uh you know get out the f-22 <laughs> and drop some knowledge right <laughs> in the form of a missile over top of the yeah. atlantic ocean mm-hmm. i mean you're picking up on i'm putting down right yeah. so yeah. I, I i went to the i i i didn't want to do it but i had to type it out i really i took time away from things that i needed to do to do this because matt martin was on my shoulder and boy he was giving it to me david goggins style <laughs> wouldn't let me live it down
2: <laughs>
1: so i retort back with the chlorine is more effective at reducing grub populations than and this is based on university trials we know this it's been proven right it is a better more effective product right so Contact versus systemic isn't really the issue in terms of whether a chemical is effective for grubs. Instead, the mode of action is more important. Metacloprid targets nerve receptor sites in the central nervous system. Or is dissociates calcium ions in the insects' exoskeleton, starting with the mouth parts that chew on roots. All right. So what's this mean for the average homeowner? Well, chlorine is a lot easier to buy because you can get it at GrubX at any of the big box stores and now features that, uh, active ingredient exclusively across its entire line, right? It's now in Grubex because the mounting concerns related to imidacloprid and other neonicotinoid insecticides threatening pollinators. In short, chloratronilopril is far and away the safer choice for pollinators and especially humans due to its mode of action. And the, the quick editorial that I give there is that uh, it doesn't target a site that could potentially be harmful to uh, humans, especially and pollinators to a lesser degree, much more so than uh, neonic- neonicotinoids, which can be, or have, have been shown to be a little bit more harsh on those pollinators. So Clorantranilopril works better because it's immediately in contact with the site. It needs to be in order to kill grubs by the insect's mouthparts chewing on roots. Midocloprid can be either ingested like Clorantranilopril or by contact between the AI and the soil of grubs. Clorantranilopril lasts longer in the soil, up to a thousand days. Amitocloprid about 124 days. These are 50% half-life values. We know that both active ingredients here finishing and entering the plant and available in sufficient amounts to provide reasonable control. That said, we can reasonably assume that there's more chlorantranilprol AI after 30, 60, 90, or 120 days in the soil in the plant than imidacloprid-treated turf based on the half-life studies done on each active ingredient. Mm -hmm. Based on those soil half-life values, significantly higher for chlorantranilprol. The range of time that we can use it effectively and have excellent control is much longer. Chlorantranilprol can be applied in Ohio anytime from late April through mid-June with excellent results. Imidacloprid is best applied very late May through early June. Bottom line is chloroquine is a safer and more effective, and easy to come by option for grub control. So just tried to keep it basic, you know. Hey, this is why, and you know, kind of talked a little bit about yeah, yeah, the keep longevity the factual, piece, right? Yeah, just the yeah, facts. Longevity, you know? All right, right, so let's let's, let's go on here. <laughs> All right, so this is where Keith Keith decides it's time to flex a little bit. Uh, oh God, Keith, Keith says. Coming from the greenhouse side of things and having an applicator's license, I still will take imidacloprid. Systemics over contacts has always worked better for me. Also, nicotinoids, uh, not any of nicotinoids have a bad rap because timing is critical for pollinator response. I also prefer commercial products to residential as they will be homeowner friendly. Honestly, some of the best grub controls were diazinon and Chloridane, which I keep on hand for emergency oh, use. wow! Wow! <laughs> However, since grub is much more available to the average homeowner, most people in here will benefit from using it and should for insect prevention. Now, I did not engage after this because after I read that Homeboy uh, is in the industry, has a de- uh, upon further review, has a degree uh from a major uh, land grant institution in horticulture specifically greenhouse horticulture uh and should definitely fucking know better uh than to not only keep what he says he has but then advertise it on the goddamn internet uh jesus i i had to stop i had to tap out right here boys the, the you know the uh you know it, it was fine to have uh you know ripping rails of coke off the toilet in the bathroom, but, You know, when the Ruhypnol and uh, you know, some of the other designer drugs came out, I had to get the fuck up on out of there, right? So Ryan, you can see you can see that I guess the point that I have here, and I want to break this down a little bit because I want to hear about your anxieties around uh what Keith left us with here, being the group expert in horticulture and gardening, but to really quickly highlight a few things. Number one is that we're about to be in grub control season. So Joe does no turf. Joe even knows. That you just put GrubX down and you forget about it. It's pretty simple. You don't need to go and think about it much harder than that. If you want to use uh, GrubX or if you want to use a Celeprin, right, you can use the mm-hmm. same thing because time's right, up, it's the, over. Time's up, it is over for Grubs if you put a Celeprin down. We know this to be very effective, highly effective. Uh, we'll throw a link up in the show notes. A great study out of uh, Oklahoma State some years ago, probably back in 2008, 2009 that shows the effectiveness of even late applications, because that was one of the knocks on a or Chlorantranilipril for a long time is that, Hey, if you put this stuff out too late, you might not get the same control. And Oklahoma state set out to prove that or disprove that. And actually what they found was pretty interesting, even late applications of it doing really, really well. So all that being said, uh, please don't use Chloridane. Please don't use Dialox if you absolutely don't have to. Uh, and leave the metacloprid alone because it's it's just kind of it, it, time has passed it by. There are better options out there uh that are just as good, if not better. Uh, we know they're better. So, gentlemen, if not better, I just want to ask. uh <laughs> You know, Matt, you talk a lot about this, and Ray to a, to a lesser extent. um How are people allowed to disseminate such poor information and then have other people accept it? Is there what is wrong with people? That's my question.
0: I don't know. We've 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 entered some sort of strange world where I, and I and I, I, I love I love how he leans into his experience and his qualifications and then follows it up with the most antiquated thinking that he possibly could. Um, one yeah. <laughs> one that is that is so far beyond what again. I'll use the word science to describe the body of evidence has demonstrated to us and uh and then and then doubles down doubles down into into the, the 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 weirdness of saying like in fact in fact i feel so good about this shit that has been banned from use because of the harmful secondary effects that have uh uh been bestowed upon people who use these these pesticides
1: that i keep it on hand just
0: in case when my imidacloprid isn't isn't strong enough and the wonderful thing about it is is that do you have do you happen to have off the top of your head the uh the imidacloprid versus the uh um uh a a celeprin study yeah oh yeah i got it efficacy study if if
1: you could share that, right? So it's I'll like, put hey, that up. We we can talk about that r- real quick. And while we're pulling that up, Ray, because I, I I want to make sure I ask this question, Ray, what mm-hmm. would you tell somebody that was legitimately thinking about applying diazinon or chlordane in today's day and age? What would be the risks associated with that? Even if it was you know as a absolute oh shit, uh, you know things the sky's falling and I think I might need to do this. What would your advice be to them as an applicator who has used both those products in uh, great quantities? Mm-hmm.
3: I would probably say, please don't because the reason why both of those products got banned is because one high human toxicity and two mm-hmm. serious, and I mean, serious environmental pollution because I saw a study from, I think it was the University of California, and they put out this study, I think in the 2000s, and this was as a result of them sampling the waterways coming out of suburban uh, Southern California. And guess what they found coming into the waterways from the lawns in, you know, Southern California. Diazinon. that (laughs) diazonon was literally migrating from the lawns and landscapes in california into the waterways and talk about some nasty stuff and this guy is also very misinformed as to what clorantranilipro actually does because he calls it a contact insecticide not true chlorantraniliprole is actually a very systemic insecticide except it is even less mobile in soil than imidacloprid is because you know when you were reading his first response and saying that uh, oh chlorantraniliprole is not going to work in our wet springs and i'm thinking goodness, sir, if you have wet conditions, chlorantraniloprol is actually the better choice because my experience with imidacloprid is that if you have excessive wet weather, the imidacloprid gets flushed past where it needs to be in the soil. It just goes straight down. So our guy is very misinformed. And to call it a contact insecticide, no, it is so crazy. It's not a contact insecticide, Matt, because I, know. I can see where he's where he's thinking this. Because okay, I know acetolaprin is labeled for use in greenhouse plants as well as a systemic. However, mm-hmm. the issue with celeprin is that it takes a very long time for it to move from the soil up into the plant, whereas something like clostyanidine or imidacloprid or thymethoxan, those neonicotinoids move like within a week up into the and plant. Let, let it's me, fast. Let <laughs> it's me fast. ask you this,
0: Demay. This, this yeah. group in which you're mm-hmm. having this conversation, is this a professional horticultural group? No. Uh, like a greenhouse group? It's all. Okay.
1: It's all, it's all homeowners all in th- lawn care.
0: It's all so in it's a homeowner, dear. lawn, consumer. Uh, in Ohio. T- Gee. In Ohio. So, again, where, where we're going with this is that, oh, I'm, I'm a master gardener. You can go fuck yourself. And what you should do is go get imidacloprid and some chloridane and diazinon just in case the imidacloprid is. Just to make sure. Yep.
2: Enough.
0: Because <laughs> even though there is a better product with higher degree of efficacy out there, your safest bet is to, uh, when one doesn't perform quite as well, you just go full fucking toxic nuclear
1: overload. <laughs> totally. I'm totally picturing on somebody getting a pallet of Chloridane shipped to their house from Alibaba, you know, and their wife mm-hmm. having to sign for it. Mm-hmm. Sweetheart, I yep. did you a favor. I got you. I got you liftgate lift because I love you.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. And
3: or else, uh, oh, actually, I'm imagining uh, somebody getting a 55 gallon drum of chloridine and diazonon 4e sent to them from china or india i'm just i'm just i'm just picturing that and i'm having nightmares because did i tell you all about the time that diazonon damn near killed me
0: there's actually two times
3: Tonight, yeah, the Ray Death
0: to Talk, talk. sponsored YouTube- wait, by wait, Ray. Hang on, go ahead. Let's talk about it, Ray. Because my mom, my mom was crop dusted by. Uh, um, she doesn't know which insecticide it was, but it was an insecticide, and it did. It almost killed her. I mean, like legitimately yeah. almost killed her. And uh, so yeah, well, I'm curious. Go ahead. Let's hear your story. You
3: know, okay, so the first time uh, everybody in our group kind of knows when a the pump cylinder from a one gallon hand sprayer imploded and shot on ten feet up in the air over mm-hmm. me. And a second time was when that stuff, or you know, a diluted solution, leaked through my glo- gloves. And that night I wasn't able to walk straight. <laughs> okay, I wasn't able to walk straight, and I can't blame that on alcohol or other because back then I didn't drink when that happened so you know that is why I'm just getting the heebie-jeebies with this guy telling people oh yeah I got a fucking garage full of diazinon and chloridine at my house and I'm not afraid to use it he should be afraid to use it I mean my gosh
0: I know and, and and this is the days like look legitimately when you worked at um uh at at, at true green it, during the time period of where you you know where you had access to things like chlordaine and diaznon mm-hmm. and dur's Band, they literally tested your blood they mm-hmm. literally tested your blood because oh, yeah. what? this is not something to just dick around with this is not something like hey, i'm gonna run down to the home depot and pick up a little cordain and by the way, if I break into an epileptic fit when I open the container, it's good. <laughs> Nothing to worry okay. about.
2: Yeah, you know, it's the, all the
0: right. CNS effects <laughs> you're witnessing. It's uh, don't worry about it. But what is what you don't have to worry about is the populations of grubs coming back. So you know it's a win-win.
3: Yeah, it's all good. And and you know, Matt, I'm going to tell you everybody what that blood test was. That blood test was called a baseline cholesterol level. And that Mm -hmm. they wanted to see if your next exposure or the next time you went out and you got incidental exposure to chlorpyrifos, that that wouldn't kill you. Okay. Because the cholinesterase enzyme in your body basically is like the CPU of your nervous system, right? Mm -hmm. And as long as everything is working properly, all is good. But when that CPU or your central nervous system is interrupted due to excess cholinesterase inhibition, uh, Ryan, do you remember that scene from The Rock?
1: Yes, the VX.
3: The, the guy okay. smashes
1: smashes that little green thing yeah matt should watch the rock okay. i feel like he would enjoy it
3: okay that is not an exaggeration of what happens in organophosphate poisoning that's not that's not a joke okay. oh yeah it is not it, it, it's for real because at worst when you have organophosphate poisoning you may not make it to medical care because okay i come from a time when there were antidote instructions printed on all those bottles right and like this one that kind of like put me you know on notice is that a lot of the stuff used to contain instructions for the doctor to intravenously administer atropine at one milligram IV and that is to literally buy time because atropine is the specific physiological antagonist to cholinesterase inhibition so it buys you time until your cholinesterase regenerates so you may be in the hospital with an atropine IV for up to a week and that's if, yeah, that's a, it doesn't kill, if, if interesting it doesn't kill you interesting ways to die with right <laughs> now let's, at, let's yeah. talk about <laughs>
1: let's talk about let's talk about grub death and let's look at this study from oklahoma state because yeah. i do think this is important uh so a very basic study here gentlemen efficacy study with grub counts so basically uh april 24th was their early treatment on uh mm-hmm. the uh, the aceleprin and then uh july 18th was the late treatment i don't know if we've got a date on the merit application but anyway, so they measured these these uh, nine-square-foot plots on October 9th, right? And basically just counted up uh, the mean number of grubs per square yard, which is nine square feet, obviously. So all this to be said, right, the early treatments here on the aceloprin, which are interesting in Oklahoma, um, they had re- they had uh, more success with late treatments on Acelepren as opposed to early now uh a lot of the data here both the st- the gray data that you don't necessarily see that's not published right that these companies do every single year at universities around the country just to validate what they're seeing and make sure that things stay the way they should right N- notice any trends that might be outside the mean per- perhaps mm-hmm. have shown that uh, the early treatments here in the midwest anyway have been uh, just as effective as the late ones so this is a little bit of an anomaly but i still think it's important to look at you know the percent reduction over the untreated check right so that's what we're really looking at here that late treatment on the low rate right so this is the low rate uh which would be on the Celloprin liquid uh that's going to be the eight fluid ounce per acre rate uh and you're seeing 85 percent reduction in grubs and i think the other thing that needs to really be understood here gentlemen and our audience is that any type of grub control that you put out the goal is not to kill all the grubs. We've talked about this before, right? There is a certain number of grubs, usually nine to 10, that will cause commercially damaging uh, you know, effects on turf, right? So the goal is to merely reduce the population such that we keep it below that threshold, right? And as far below as we possibly can. That's why we're looking at percent reduction. And that is the name of the game. So again, we've talked about it before on here. Uh, Kyle, the lawn mentor. Hi, Kyle digs up one grub in his yard don't freak out man it's all good right yeah, yeah. put down the dialogues please
2: <laughs> yeah
3: just because you have down. one
1: genital wart doesn't mean they're going to be all <laughs> over the place right matt yeah <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> <laughs> shave and use the ointment you'll be fine all right gentlemen that's our Jodo's turf segment for this week let's thank keith for being an expert in gardening and horticulture uh he sure showed it and keith I am picking on you. I just want to make that clear.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And um, we'll just carry this right on to this week's Burns.
2: And
0: at the top of the hour here, the Tennessee Titans are switching to turf at Nissan Stadium in 2023. Uh, dating back to the early years of Nissan Stadium, the Titans explored a number of solutions to improve the natural playing surface. Nashville exists in a transition climate zone, which makes growing a consistent grass surface throughout the entire NFL season, nearly impossible. In more recent years, after player coach concerns, an increase in injuries and persistent issues with the undependable surface, the Titans amped up their research with data to determine the best and safest plan moving forward. Looking at statistics from the 2018 to 21 seasons, Nissan Stadium had lower extremity injuries than each of the monofilament synthetic turfs in the league. The conclusion, putting in a new cutting edge field turf that will be installed in time for the 2023 season. The project, replacing the grass with monofilament matrix helix turf with organic infill, will provide players with a consistent playing experience year round. This fall, Nissan Stadium will become the first NFL stadium with the technology of a synthetic turf system that incorporates organic infill. Ultimately, we've landed on the decision based on the data uh, to transition to a monofilament surface with an organic infill that mimics the natural feel of of grass while getting the consistency and durability of field turf uh, the new playing field at nissan stadium will be similar to the surface and infill that is currently used inside the team's indoor practice facility at ascension st thomas sports park and also used in other practice facilities across the nfl Organic infill retains moisture better than rubber infill to mimic the feel and performance of natural gas, while the Matrix Helix design of the turf limits the infill splash upon contact. Uh, Mike Vrabel said the response from the players since the surface was installed prior to last season has been positive. Uh, there's nothing more important than the health and safety of our players. We've had a lot of issues with the grass at Nissan Stadium after a certain part of the season, and it's hard to grow grass. It gets slick. We put uh, down new turf, and we try and put new sod down, and it's slick. You see guys slipping. Those are real things that I've witnessed over my time here. Our grass surface is down at the level of some of the other grass surfaces across the NFL. At the beginning of the year, summer, training camp, early season, I can see it becoming very consistent. But as the season wears on and the weather changes, there's a noticeable difference in the performance of the field. We added this product inside the bubble, and the response has been very positive, very favorable to that uh, to that surface, to the new technology that continues to come out. Just witnessing our practices inside and how they feel and how they respond on that product, excited to be able to add this product to our stadium then it goes on where they're talking about the uh uh, what what the decisions they or the variables they took into consideration to make this decision as well as a little bit more of the um uh the science behind the product that they ended up going with so interesting stuff here interesting decision from uh um uh, nissan stadium Uh, gentlemen have y'all managed to see uh any of this either in demo Uh, or feel it any anything of the sort up to this point
1: oh yeah yeah the the organic infill system on a monofilament yeah uh there's a field here in uh, columbus as a matter of fact that is that same type of setup not the exact same uh yarn or the you know the plastic fibers that goes into it but uh same exact system and yeah it feels pretty good underfoot so i can see why they why they say that i think what's interesting here is you know with the push to go uh natural from the players and then uh this response from a team uh is is i don't know i i i feel like it's a little bit of a you know kind of a fuck you to the players in a certain way i think also too that uh you know what coach Vrabel talks about here with you know the surface becoming uh a little bit more uh slippery in his words right as the season wears on uh, you know the thing is that that kind of irks me about this whole thing is that uh i don't know this to be a fact i just know how it goes in other places right that uh, maybe this decision was made long ago and i don't want to say that you know things were sabotaged or anything like that but i'd wonder if um you know the folks there you know, the, the, the folks that take care of the field the grounds crew had all the available uh tools infrastructure time support resources all those types of things to grow a great natural grass field there at nissan stadium in nashville you know the weather's no different uh really in in kansas city and kansas city just hosted a you know the afc championship game in their place uh and it looked fan you know fantastic absolutely fantastic weather in philly definitely not as good as uh what you might find in nashville i'd say it's matt would would almost tell you it's on the uh, east coast of canada and they just had a field that looked amazing now so That's the thing that doesn't really, you know, the the, same amount of games, everything like that. And in fact, you know, uh, a couple extra playoff games at both stadiums there and still looking better. So I don't think that's uh, a, a measure of the talent that is there. I mean, if you're an NFL head groundskeeper or on those staffs, you are the best, the best, you are able to provide whatever conditions that somebody will allow you to provide. And I think what we're seeing is these stadiums are used for a lot of other things, right? Uh, so events and things like that. So where, you know, the, the eight or, well, if you add add in, uh, you know, new season rules, things like that, you can have up to 11 home games, right. In a year between preseason and regular season. I think that folks in owners, ownership groups and front offices look at this and say, Hey, that's not enough. We can make more revenue. If we host concerts, if we host corporate events and different things like that using the field. And I think that most stadiums try to do that, uh, through the summertime, as much as they possibly can, but I don't know the, how it works in Nashville. I hear, uh, you know, I, I would understand that there's probably a lot of events in season. A lot of people are starting to do that a little bit more now, and it's becoming an issue, right where groundskeepers don't have all the time and the resources that they need to, to do what they need to do to have a nice natural grass field. So that all being said, you know, the synthetic makes that go away, but you know, it also creates a whole bunch of, of other issues too. So their data that they are saying is that, Hey, we, you know, we had more injuries on our grass field this year. Um, than we did on our indoor field. That's this, you know, the same system. And I would say that are those two things, you know, like, can you really compare that if you're not producing or, you know, giving uh, the folks that, that are able to do it, all the resources to produce a great natural grass field, and then looking at that and say, well, you know, decision's easy. That's what I mean by the sabotage piece. I just wonder if all those things are in place, if it was an equal apples to apples comparison, or if, you know, Hey, you're fighting with one hand behind, tied behind your back. Mm, Maybe that uh, you know you step on the scale—is that what they call it? You know you can't have your hand on the scale, something like that. So, anyway, yeah, you gentlemen, can't have your
3: your foot on the scale. No, cannot. Curious,
1: Ooh. curious decisions. Uh, and you know they're going to go synthetic anyway. They're putting a new two billion dollar stadium there in Nashville, uh, home of Lizard Man, R.I.P. Uh Gee. that's right. Uh, if you don't know who he is, uh, he 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 had five G for a minute, and now he has no G's. So he's he's all gone now rest in pieces sir uh so literally <laughs> quite literally mm-hmm. when you come rest back in, in a bo- <laughs> yeah going say when you come back in a kroger bag that looks like kitty litter you know you done, you, you know you done well <laughs> that all being said gentlemen uh listen i always you know i always stick up for natural grass i know that synthetic turf has a place i don't think it's in an nfl stadium especially an outdoor nfl stadium and transition zone in a place that is uh is welcoming to grow natural grass specifically bermuda grass in uh the, the, that part of the country in nashville and i just don't think there's any excuse for it so we'll see what happens that's my personal opinion i'm sure uh some of my brethren will will think otherwise uh when it comes to the sports territory ter- folks but you know i said what i said.
0: Uh- the scope of heavy pesticide use on Oahu is finally in the public domain. <clears throat> Sorry, right? I just oh, go ahead man. and take you <laughs> a bong rep while you can Uh, the birds were the first <laughs> to go, an unusual number of them lying lifeless in a field at Sally Paulson's North shore ranch. <laughs> then there was the owl that stood in a pool of water for days. If it had been burned, uh, what? The, oil di- uh, the owl died too. After that, a horse nicknamed Blanky. Within weeks, Blanky's pasture maid Ida experienced what Paulson said looked like a seizure before the horse ran through a hot fence and into a grove of trees where she stopped, dropped, and died. Ten days after that, another horse, Jazz, died. At that point, I'm like, what is going on? Paulson (laughs) said in an interview. Austin believes animals' deaths were caused by pesticides sprayed on the neighboring uh, Kui Lima lands operated by the Turtle Bay Resort, although there's no proof to a link. Uh, Can I definitively say that my horses were directly killed from this? No, I cannot. Uh, As a person involved in farming my entire life, I've grown up on farms here and in Oregon and been involved with horses for 30 years. Does my gut and observation say they've been affected? Absolutely. In a statement, Turtle Bay confirmed it uses herbicides on the land adjacent to Paulson's uh, horse ranch and said it's investigating the case. Many concerns have been raised about the possible impacts of pesticide exposure in communities on the island. However, pesticide users weren't required to tell the public about the chemicals being sprayed until a new law was passed in 2018 and Hawaii started collecting reports on restricted pesticide usage the following year. Uh, Pursuant to the new law, the state releases summary information showing total chemical usage on the island per year. But but from those reports, residents can't see how much of each chemical is being used in which locations, and individual reports can only be accessed via public records requests, which can be a lengthy process. Uh, Anyway, people are totally upset because the report shows that over 215,000 pounds of restricted-use pesticides were released across central Ohio and the North Shore in 2019. Uh, pesticide users sprayed 23 different kinds of pesticides in those areas that year, including 13 that are banned in other countries, 12 known to disrupt human hormones and four known carcinogens, according to the findings by a nonprofit environmental justice group. The data released by the state contains no information about possible health effects. However, a dozen of the chemicals used are toxic to bees and four have a tendency to drift. So there we go. Uh, Ray, uh, I'm just Mm going to say this, Ray, go ahead
3: okay uh most of these pesticides are in the form of soil fumigants that okay environmental group you won because most of those soil groups most of those soil fumigants were used on land that was dedicated to pineapple production but thanks to all of the protests and calls to manage, control and regulate the agricultural industry guess what the pineapple producers did. They said, "Hell with this, we're going to move to Brazil, where we don't have to listen to this crap every single day. Because I do know that in times past, the pineapple producers used to use a fumigant called 1-3 and what that is is that's a liquid that weighs approximately oh i want to say 10 or 11 pounds per gallon and application rate of this is approximately 25 gallons per acre so that accounts for most of the weight everything else that these people call Restricted use includes pyrethroids, which are literally applied in the amount of grams per acre, not pounds, and a certain amount of neonicotinoid insecticides. But again, those are all applied at extremely low rates per acre. So guess what activists, you guys all won because there's no more pineapple production in hawaii good job so now what are we going to do for income and the economy <laughs> okay now what well, are we going to do
1: i mean uh well i don't know uh blankie's not going to be rid of the kentucky derby that's all i know
0: yeah
3: and and i gotta i gotta add one more thing in that
1: sorry
0: you Mr. know Hams, what this you're, woman you're you're down a man
3: no no, you know what this woman sounds like. Ultimate. She sounds horse. like a lady that is hardcore organic. However, you know when a horse owner is hardcore organic, their horses are susceptible to poisoning by poisonous plants growing in their paddocks that they are not controlling with herbicides because you know the. Running blindly into a fence in convulsions and then dropping dead, you know what that sounds like to me, Matt?
1: Oh man, that I can sounds say like so poisoning right now.
3: <laughs> no, that sounds like poisoning from a species of poisonous plant that is extremely common on Oahu. It's called creeping indigo, and creeping indigo infests pastures and grazed areas. I'm very familiar with it. And I often get calls from landowners with horses to literally come in and treat their pastures and paddocks to control this creeping indigo weed. Because if a horse eats this weed, uh the horse will probably die. And die a very gruesome death. But again i'm suspecting that this that this lady she is so hardcore organic and anti-chemical that she doesn't even think about what's growing in her pastures she just wants to point fingers at the turtle bay resort corporation and say oh they sprayed herbicides so that's why my horse died no lady Maybe your horse died because you won't spray herbicides. Think about that.
2: Because yeah, it's, it's a, go
3: ahead, go ahead. One of the most, yeah, one of the, I think one of the most important jobs that I have is I go in and I treat grazed areas for toxic
2: and harmful weeds. That's one of the things I do. It's, Damn. you know,
0: go, go <laughs> ahead
1: to give me a balanced approach. Cause I, you know. <laughs> it just listen, uh, first of all, the writer of this story, like it was clearly moved by like, they needed to set the scene in a very, very mm-hmm. graphic way. And a weird way to start off an article like that. So there's that point that just kind of threw me off, uh, <sighs> how much of this, like, I, How much of these articles or how many of these articles do we read where, listen, something bad happened and I can't prove definitively that it was, you know, the pesticide or this or that that caused it, but I have a strong suspicion and we're writing it and putting it in media. Like I, I just, let me, let me give
3: you all some, some background on the civil beat, the civil beat is a media organization in Hawaii that is extremely anti-corporate extremely there you go okay that that's their agenda is that they are anti-corporate and for lack of a better word pro-collectivism
1: i i just think that it's one of those (laughs) things where we're (sighs) You read these articles and you wonder, is it, is it to incite change? Right. So that, you know, people look at this and are, you know, whether they're politicians or regulatory folks or whatever to, oh man, we should really take a hard look at that. I think that's part of what the, what the impetus for writing these articles. But I also think too, it's nothing more than to be inflammatory and edgy about a topic that's easy to be inflammatory and edgy about. And there's no other purpose than that. Right. It's, it's clickbait essentially or people that are going to lap it up and read it and be like that's it. I told you, see? They're killing blankie now. Those motherfuckers. Yeah. Yeah, they
3: yeah, they they're killing they're killing horses, you know? <laughs> they're killing horses and they're killing birds. Uh it's
1: the owl standing oh. in the like I'm picturing this owl that's and, just got to be tripped out on acid like and sounds like an album by cover the way, or something like that. And by the way, do you know what the most common read this again.
3: source of poisoning for
1: uh,
3: predatory birds is? Most common source of, pred- of, of poisoning for predatory birds are rat baits. Secondary poisoning from rat poisons, which, by the way, are even used by consumers and you know various people because hey I have a little sad story in that last year uh, I had a cat that used to come come in from the neighborhood and visit me every single morning to be fed he was a neighborhood cat and he was a very friendly cat however Uh, one day my neighbor called me and he said, Hey, Hey, Ray, you know, that cat that you used to feed every day. Uh, we found him dead behind our house. God, Jesus. And the way he died was rat poison.
2: God, Okay. There's a lot of death talk today. A lot of death talk. (laughs) Jeez. Uh, So
3: you know so I'm just gonna say that this lady you see she is so anti anti anti-pesticide and specifically like you know she's gonna blame anybody that sprays anything on everything that goes wrong she doesn't look at what is the actual cause because you know what? Maybe I do need to take an investigative trip as Mike Chelle says and go look at her land. And if I find Creeping Indigo, you know what I'm gonna tell her? Shut the fuck up, bitch. Okay? Shut up. <laughs> Your horses died from Creeping Indigo. Not from what Turtle Bay was doing.
0: Uh, a Santa Fe, New Mexico beep, golf course and the city battle <laughs> over water rights. He's gonna say, uh, water, make me some
1: cookies. My,
0: uh, water use issues and how they affect golf courses. In locations like California, Arizona, and <laughs> Colorado have been making news for years. Issues affecting golf courses in New Mexico might not grab headlines like those. I do. I should I? It was. I. Uh, get but, well, listen. Uh, that's
1: man. a. It's an interesting article there. I'll. I'll. I'll, I'll summarize it. So. Uh, Santa Fe. House I was just gonna, gonna go back and, goes... and, and never mind. You're gonna restart the <laughs> please, whole thing? Like, no, no.
0: Summarize it, please. Please do, <laughs> oh I'm, no, no, I'm, no. I'm thinking about Frankie <laughs> wallowing in the uh, in the hot fence or whatever he ran into. By the I'm, way, what's I'm a hot picturing. fence? Is that a is that an electrical uh, fence? Electrified. That oh, hot that's hot electrified, electrified.
3: That's electrified, uh, Matt. That's I, electrified. Yeah, man. Real, real
0: yeah. quick, you know, I do have to read this line back. Spasming. Okay, go ahead.
1: I got I got I got to read this back real quick. One second. Oh, right here the second sentence then there was the owl who stood in a pool of water for days as if it had been burned the owl died too mm. uh I, like i said the owl clearly we should have done a post-mortem spinal tap to see just how much acid it took uh but we didn't do that because bodies are destroyed all right anyway santa fe so 1959 this golf course needs water right and they go to the uh the city there and they say hey we want to use your effluent water right your 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 partially treated gray water brackish water whatever you want to call it right so um city says yeah you can use all you want the only deal is though you have to open up your course it's a private course you have to let non members who live in the city limits play here and so they said yeah sure no problem so fast forward uh for like the last 25 years they've been the city's come back and like dudes this is not working anymore we can't we can't just give you this water and you know charge you what we're charging you for it uh we need it for other things you know it's important because we're you know we're running out of water here so the golf course has pushed back and basically say hey listen we got a deal in place like you're you're not going back on this and now they're in court fighting each other for it and it's getting pretty getting pretty ugly so we we'll monitor that situation but i think really what it does it highlights you know the much larger issue that we continue to talk about out west uh which is just that uh the water rights thing specifically for uh turf is i think going to be a massive massive deal uh here coming up in and not that it hasn't been for the last you know 20 plus years but uh in the next 5 or so years you're going to see some real dramatic shifts um you're already seeing it with home lawns in different states out there uh non-functional turf areas quote unquote and uh i, I just think th- th- if you're out there right now and you're in the uh the treatment business you know our friend zach out there um in utah i i worry about folks out there like that and it might be something where you need to kind of pivot your business a little bit not completely away from turf because it's not going to go away altogether but I think that uh, it's time to start thinking about that. If you're out west, what you're doing and how you're doing it. So, anyway, let's go ahead and move right along here and We a had a brush silence. fire.
0: Uh, oh, wait, sorry. A moment of silence for
1: Blinky. Well, for 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 Blinky and also for our show because if we don't beat that out, we're definitely getting <laughs> fucking canceled. <laughs>
0: yeah. we, we might we might have to faffo on that one. Uh there was a <laughs> I, you know, say uh, why not <laughs> fire crews have been battling a brush fire that has reached approximately 38 and a half acres. Uh, a lawnmower struck a piece of metal. And, uh, if anybody Ooh. has ever seen what happens when you take a blade and, you know, run a blade across metal, typically it's going to spark pretty hard. And, uh, mm-hmm. well, apparently this one got real hot, sparked real hard. And I don't know what the temperature was, but it was high enough to ignite whatever, uh a brush fire that ended up ensuing that's a big ass fire uh so anyway they're working on it they're trying to get it under control but uh you know 38 and a half acres it was 90 90 percent contained as of february 2nd so i'd say we're out now but uh again 38 and a half acres over a
1: uh we're hitting a piece of metal Uh, yeah i was gonna say the uh real burn oh I, that's why, that's why we put it in there. I mean, it w- really was a fire. the uh, no sheds were harmed during the, uh, the making that's of this 38-acre fire. I mean, yeah. I know. Fortunate. Sorry. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're part of the, uh, the big shed lobby, like our, one of our patrons, Jake, Jacob, you know, uh, he's, he's a big shed guy. Hates to see a shed
0: go up in flames. I, I just, I'm, I'm telling you the the moment you try it, you'll all feel better about it. Uh, let's check out this week's returns. All it takes is once, It's invigorating. Yeah, it does. I mean, it just—it scratches you in the in the in the part of your toxic masculine psyche that it just. There's something so satisfying about.
1: Remember when Ray was talking on the pre-show that you need to exercise your prostate 21 times a month? You know, keep it healthy. I think that shed fire counts for all 21 times that month. Yes. Uh,
0: yes, yes. I can say without a doubt that uh, I ruined uh, many, many laundry baskets close after that, just thinking about it. Remember, use, uh, use cold water can, so you don't get a, a stick. Yeah, one.
3: Just, man, let him.
0: Maybe a cold shower. <laughs> but then eventually you come back to room temperature and it just starts all over again. I'm just saying, man, you don't knock it till you try it. Set something on fire one day. A big structure. Contaminated cannabis. State warns of pesticide use in some Vermont pot. A contaminated cannabis advisory, as Vermont regulators recall a batch of pesticide-coated pot. Pesticide-coated pot. Our Calvin (laughs) Cutler looks at how tainted product got into circulation, what it means for Vermont's fledgling cannabis industry. Last week, a Vermonter went to Vermont's Cannabis Control Board reporting headaches and nausea. Lab lab tests showed the pot grown by Derby-based Holland cannabis sold in five retail locations contained the pesticide called Eagle 20. It's approved in Vermont for certain products like apples and grapes, but it's not approved for cannabis. So regulators pulled the cannabis from the shelves and put out a health advisory. I reached out to Holland's legal team, but have not yet heard back by the time this uh, study was published. Uh, Cannabis goes through an already lengthy regulatory process. Dave Silberman is the co-founder of Floor Cannabis, a retail store in Middlebury. He says, before any cannabis touches his store shelves, he asks for certificates of analysis from a licensed lab looking for pathogens and pesticides. We can honestly say to our customers, this is tested, safe, and quality assured. You know what you're getting. Without that, why are we here? State law mandates a sample of every strain sold needs to be tested before it leaves the growing facility. And once more, after processing, the cannabis also needs to pass a product registration process, checks on labels, and health warnings. Pepper says not all the products were fully registered. And they made it through the process; they would have never made it onto the shelves. Regulators are now investigating how the cannabis became contaminated and why it wasn't detected by lab lab testing. Despite a slower than anticipated rollout of the adult use marketplace, this is its first hiccup. I think the situation will hopefully expedite the ability of us to uh, to get that. Uh, uh, talking about the the state needs to be controlled of the testing facility instead of relying on private labs. Uh, anyway, the contaminated, contaminated cannabis will now be quarantined and destroyed. Blah 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 blah. Um, you, you know, I, again, and they they say here, you know, symptoms of pesticide can include rash, headache, abdominal pain, vomiting, nosebleeds. Which I'm not going to lie. I look, I'm I'm one of the few people left in in America. Well, I, I should. It might be everybody on here. I don't know. I don't know what y'all do in y'all's off time. But uh, I am not a cannabis user, and uh, and and so you know it. I do not know the ins and outs of what gets transferred through to it and all that fun stuff. But, um, I, I can say this is that I'm sure I'm sure that there is a time period between an application to the time at which the cannabis is consumed, uh, that there would be a window in which is an acceptable time to make a pesticide application. But I do not know what that is. So, I understand the fear of saying that we will allow some pesticide applications on cannabis with the risk of some uh, uh, wrong applications or late applications being passed through to the final product. But if we're already, if we're already going through this stringent of testing, right, and we still manage to get one through, how is increased regulatory interference or even state owned you know, labs going to fix this? Because again, at some point, the traceability is going to fall back to the, on, uh, the, the honesty of the, of the, uh, of the grower, right? Because here's the thing: you may be sending a sample off that, uh, that, that was non-treated and what you're sending to, uh, a production or retail may have been treated. Right. So I, I mean, it's just, you I feel like what ends up having to happen here, and, and you all can tell me I'm stupid for thinking this way, but I think the, the, uh, <coughs> the protocol here is that there's regulation enough in place. Um, it's just that these people who are going to be bad fucking people need to be weeded out and put out of business, and then it's, it's nothing to worry about, right? There's always going to be people that are going to attempt to, to milk the system, and if we continue to increase regulations every time there's a bad person that gets involved, well, eventually you'll have nothing left because at some point, someone Will attempt to to circumvent uh, uh, it, right? So, where does it end? Where does it end? I don't know.
3: It it, it doesn't. And uh, I'll tell you what. Do you know why people are going rogue and even applying non labeled, non registered, or potentially hazardous products to cannabis? Matt,
0: because of it the. Because of the- the amount of fucking genetic fuckery that is taking place with these plants—they are so overly gosh damn susceptible to fucking disease and other shit. Not uh, only that, and, and, and then through the cloning process, with pretty much you're not going to find uh, a clone in America or North America or around the world right now that is not infected with some latent viroid uh, that, it, and it's just a factor of it. And so, you know, that, one, w- one more what, thing, what you, Matt. Go ahead. Go ahead.
3: Uh, it is because between the EPA, FDA and DEA, the alphabet soup of you know government agencies, which I don't think should exist uh, uh, yeah, there is no procedure to register a pesticide for application to cannabis, and, oh by the way, my Eagle 20 I know that as microbutanol and what i know about microbutanil is that the issue is microbutanil is that if it is on a crop that is then ignited and smoked such as tobacco the microbutanil turns into cyanide oh because oh is a dmi fungicide with a nitrile group in it. And nitriles are just a fancy organic chemist's way of saying cyanide. (laughs) And so, mm, that's comforting, yeah. But then here's the problem is that I checked and there are no microbutanil-containing fungicides registered for application to tobacco because of that hazard.
1: I bet you the cannabis growers i mean i'm sure there are folks that know it but again it, yeah you know so yeah. with it being you know schedule one like is it ever going to be uh able to be researched right like truly really researched mm-hmm. and try to come up with some best practices i think so much of this stuff uh i don't know i think that would be an interesting deep dive topic to understand how the growers get licensed and from a just a purely agronomic standpoint you know how much of that is vetted right and how many uh facebook horticulture experts are on their staff hmm.
3: yeah telling these guys to put chloridine on their crop for example
1: <laughs> ain't, ain't no, <laughs> Ooh,
3: sorry, Kevin. Ain't, no
1: gr- ain't no grubs in our pot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: If you ain't smoked a little weed with some motherfucking damn Florida, you ain't, you ain't ever been high before. We've we, we done that shit in bad bathtub for years, man. You ain't done no, nobody
1: bad. All these pussies talking yeah. about putting a little fentanyl in their stuff. Ah, I got something to show you. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez.
2: Give you a Our few micrograms of just... Shit. <laughs> oh, damn. <Apple. laughs>
1: Alright. Any, anyway.
0: The the, the got in his brain and interrupted his thought process. There, so, <laughs> came, came to a screeching halt. Uh, Research suggestions for precision management of golf courses. More than 270 studies from 2000 to 2022 were reviewed, including relevant studies researching remote sensing technologies on turf crash management system at golf course, sports fields, and lawn management systems uh the intensity of management required on golf course turfgrass drives demand for turfgrass care products and economic expenditures golfers expect turf grass with lush colored manicured surfaces and long ball roll on putting greens due to the influence of tele- televised golf courses uh, golf courses are primarily located in urban areas competing for water with other urban uses it can be viewed as a luxury making them an easy target for restrictions Precision turf grass management defined as precise field applications to target irrigation, fertilizer, pesticide, or cultural applications to meet turf grass function and aesthetic goals offers a possibility to increase the resiliency of golf course turf grass. It goes on to talk about water. Then it goes on to talk about nitrogen. Then it goes on to talk about disease and insects, uh, and the effect that has on it and maintaining consistent playability and aesthetics is a goal of PTM. Uh, again, PTM is precision turf grass management by using georeference sensors, geographic information systems, GIS, to increase micromanagement of resources for efficient irrigation, fertilizer, and pesticide applications, right? So again, we're talking about uh, precision applications here, whether it be water, pesticides, or fertilizers, right? And, uh, and the idea here is that, uh, you know, if we can become more precise about the, either timing or area uh, rates, um then ultimately we end up having a uh a greater overall effect with less needed to achieve that um so again uh 270 studies were selected for uh for review uh, so i guess this would be a meta analysis as they say and included studies conducted on plot scale experiments operational golf
1: courses and in labs um the yeah, results the is that- basically oh huh, go ahead time's up it's i was over. gonna see i was i knew that was coming up so i was uh, going to summarize it but there's a lot more other stuff in here but i think throw that picture back up Jay Pink, and let's talk about this real quick i just wanted to have a discussion with you gentlemen it's a good article sure. to read it's a very long article that there's no long. need to read it all i would i would encourage the folks that are listening uh we'll throw a link up in the show notes make sure you take a look at this it's pretty interesting what's already been done but really um you know i'll, I'll kind of highlight a few things here and then we can have a quick discussion about it but Uh, so they're talking about you know what issues need to be investigated and they start off with irrigation and you know kind of looking at what do we need to research and then what is the maturation of that research like what's the finished product that we should get right so like with irrigation for example developing models for irrigation applications for soil moisture sensors or other remote sensing uh, devices automate data collection and processing right so Right now, you know, you have to go out there and look at your yard. You got to pull a core with a soil probe. You have to use a, you know, a, 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 TDR, a moisture sensor. You go out there and stick in the ground. You have to have one that's deployed in the ground. And from all that, you have to collect all that data and do something with it and figure it out. So what they talk about here with a, at a mature state of precision turf management, you know, they're using weather station data, soil sensors, and other thermal imaging data. For pest growing degree day modeling and for specific irrigation applications you know modeling site specific irrigation, targeted irrigation efficiency through individual head control. so what they're talking about gentlemen is basically making turf a video game and I always think that there's I always know there's going to be a human element to this entire thing right there's you're never going to take a turf manager, somebody who's educated and smart and experienced and knows what to do right because there's always still that component that Nature is extremely fickle, and you know, being able to sense what might happen and prevent bad things from happening is something that uh, I don't think AI, machine learning, remote sensing devices, everything like that will be able to do. I do think, though, that it'll make uh, a, a much better place, a much more hospitable place for turf managers to advocate for their positions on why they need certain things, why certain things are important how much things cost and why you know what the value is right to the end user, whether it be on a home lawn, a golf course, sports field, whatever the case might be. But I'm curious from your perspectives is, you know, uh what would be the most intriguing part of precision turf management? What do you think the thing the first thing that we need to figure out to really move the needle and get things headed in a better direction, other than just the old, uh, again, local Facebook horticultural experts giving advice on Facebook on how to uh How to manage turf. What's the first thing you would tackle if you were the mayor of precision turf management bill? Oh God, what a question. Jesus. I get paid to ask questions, man. This is my job.
0: I know. And so I, for, for me personally, right. And I, and I think, I don't think there's going to be a one size fits all approach to this because I think, I think geographically the pressures of, of, of various regions are, are different. Right. So for instance, if I was in Utah uh you know my primary focus would be irrigation you anywhere anywhere west would be would be water first right um if i'm in uh any, anywhere east in my opinion i would say ugh, lord have mercy i'm going to say actually i may i may go back on this and i'm going to say pest mm. first east of the uh of the mississippi okay. um yeah yeah that 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 that, that would be mine Okay. Ray, what do you think? Okay,
3: uh, Matt touched on something because you know, my dream irrigation system even for a residential landscape would be individually controlled irrigation heads. Even in a 2000 square foot lawn. I mean, I want the ability to manage each individual irrigation head from my cab. That's what I would want.
0: You just
2: need to you know water this, management. How
0: many fucking times I have pulled up to a yard and you're in one area in mm-hmm. the backyard that is just absolutely you're like God I'm, this is just a stupid amount of water that goes on here. But as you start going around like, and, and measuring measuring the the, the the amount of water that goes down it's well you've got one head in the back of that zone that is just so Mm -hmm. ill-placed and no matter where you try to move it, it ends up leaving just a gigantic dry spot there because of the the, the way the overlap occurs. And you're like, gosh, Mm -hmm. damn it. If I could just run this one head individually and cut, Mm -hmm. cut down five minutes irrigation across three these three heads and replace that five minutes of irrigation, just on this one individual head, it would make this whole property infinitely better. You know, and just that level yeah, of man, flexibility alone in that one particular instance would just be a total fucking game changer and it would be overall less water use less mm-hmm. water use and also that would parlay into
3: better efficiency of nutrients uh yes. reduced pest pressure because you know for me yes. uh my former boss i mean i still have a lot of respect for him but then one day he pulled me aside and he said you know ray if you have control over the water in a lawn and landscape that is like the beginning of everything because without water you ain't got nothing
2: Mm -hmm.
3: that's what this guy told me and ever since he said that i took those words to heart and that's why for example you frequently hear me joke about how my real fix for this problem lawn involves the geo ripper and a redo of the irrigation system. That's not a joke to me because the problem is, you know, is rooted in water management. And if, for example, some of that management and control could even be automated to where a sensor, for example, is in the loop and says, okay, this area around this head is dry. So therefore this head needs to run five minutes longer this week for example and the rest of the area is soaking fucking wet so it, it just stays off i mean do you know how much of a game
1: changer that would be for me that would be huge oh, Matt. i think that's for everybody i think that's something that you know spatially people don't think about that and certainly irrigation designers don't, are designing these systems in 2d they they don't i mean 99 percent of them and ra- don't don't understand and right now placement. matt
2: so-
3: and ryan i'm dealing with an mm-hmm. irrigation system on a on a client's property where the designer made it so that three quarters of the coverage in the landscape beds was supposed to come from the lawn sprinklers <sighs>
2: it's
3: just lazy. i don't i don't don't throw up right? Uh, right don't please don't please don't barf but uh, so but anyway, i think i think well here's i'll say this
1: on on, on a couple of uh, a couple of parts one is that from an irrigation design standpoint uh it's not common both of these things are not common in residential systems however i think they should be uh yeah but they drive up they drive up costs number one is a manifold type system right so that you know whether it's above ground or if it's in a vault somewhere below ground that you have access to all the valves in one spot they don't need to necessarily be buried and you've got space that you can add additional valves if you really want to the other thing It's pretty uncommon, I mean, very, very uncommon in a residential system, unless it's a huge one, is using what's called two wire or decoder type system, where essentially you have one wire path that surrounds the entire property, right? And if you have valves right there and a manifold, you don't even have to do this. But if you have them out in the yard using a two wire type setup, essentially um, it allows you to add zones in with no worries about having to take a wire all the way back to the controller in a conventionally wired system. So there's that. The precision turf management thing, though, I think it's something that we should keep talking about. I think there's so much that we're on the verge of right there. And I think that there's a lot of ways and it sounds dumb, but I, I I'm sure people will listen to this man who the fuck cares about some remote sensing stuff. from a lawn care situation. I think there's a ton of stuff that glean from it. I think with the moisture sensors, gentlemen, for instance, like using those in ground ones, uh, that are fairly inexpensive now, you know, all things considered. If you were doing a growing, whether it's sod or seed or something like that, I would be sticking those things in the ground, charging the client back for it and remotely monitoring and saying, Hey, Mrs. Jones, are you, you know, you're supposed to be watering this lawn and I'm, I'm looking at this and I can tell that you're not right. What's going on out mm-hmm. there? Or, Hey, you've got, you know, we're, we're backing off. We need to get down to like, you know, two run times a day instead of three or whatever the case might be, but using this stuff to your advantage. So that's what I guess, uh, the message here, I wanted the message to be is that you know there are some great leaps that we're going to take in the near future but but there are ways to begin implementing and using these technologies in your business especially if you're in lawn care uh that are very undervalued and underappreciated right now and there needs to be more of it there absolutely needs to be more of it dip your toe in the pool find out what it's that dip your toe in that puddle that the uh the owl stood in for days before it died and then just don't die
3: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean And as far as the sensors go, uh, I'm, I'm going to be one of those people where I do something rather renegade here in that I insist on rain and weather sensors to be linked to a person's irrigation controller because there are people that swear up and down to me. They say, Ray, I'll just turn off the irrigation controller if it rains. Okay. No, no, actually I've had people that do and then they forgot that they did it for a long time. And I'm talking about uh I had one instance where I wondered why a lawn I was treating and maintaining up and died on me, but come to find out my client shut off the irrigation controller because it rained one weekend and then forgot to turn it back on for a month and the controller was indoors Pain. pain and somewhere where i couldn't check it and this person shut it off and forgot about it and that is where for me whether the controller is in their house or stuck on the on their shed uh, wall or something, I don't care. I want a rain sensor on it to eliminate or reduce the likelihood of that human error because, hey, I mean, people are busy. i mean they they shut the, the irrigation controller off because it rains that weekend, and then they go back to work the next week, the week after that, and they just totally forgot that they shut their irrigation controller off until their entire lawn dies
1: well listen right there's only so much precision that you can do you can't uh uh censor your way out of stupid uh but you can no. sure as hell try no. you can sure as hell try yeah yeah you can't jpink any any mail in the mailbag tonight you've got mail oh wow
0: we do have mail Uh, the first one is from Mark W here. Mark says, good morning. I was wondering if it's safe to use crop-based fungicides on my lawn. We have a product that contains both propiconazole and
1: azoxystrobin.
0: Thank you. Uh,
1: I mean, uh, the answer is no, you you can't, uh, and the reason is not because they won't work and the reason isn't because that it's different strength or or something necessarily of chemical or anything like that it's illegal Sometimes because they're not the labeled case. for it. Sure. it is it can be it can be uh they're right. illegal on turf because they're not labeled for it so mark uh we're not going to strongly recommend we're just going to tell you don't fucking do it
0: <laughs> uh and then the don't. second one is from jeff and jeff says chiefs or eagles
1: oh uh yeah. Uh who do I think is going to win? Man, this is tough. You know, I'm I'm going to go I I got to go. I'm going to say Chiefs. I think the Chiefs will win. Oh wow. It's uh I I I don't know how I really feel about that. I just I think they'll win.
0: Well, there it is. Uh I have no opinion. I don't even know. I I I didn't even know the Chiefs and the Eagles were going to be in the Super Bowl because well, I don't watch <laughs> well, the NFL. Not once, not ever. Uh Matt I'll,
1: literally I'll, lives under a rock. Mm-hmm,
0: I do. Um, hey, <laughs> Ryan, so do I. So in, do I, Ryan. I'm, <laughs> I'm really interested in the things I'm not interested in. I couldn't be any further from. Uh, that is going to do it for us. Um, speaking of the Super
1: Bowl, you wanna to uh, so speaking of the Super Bowl next week, no show on Sunday night. No so show. if you're a patron. No show. We're going to let everybody watch the Super Bowl. We're not going to try and outdo that. So uh, we made (laughs) a little extended episode here for everybody to enjoy. We tied you over for two weeks, right? So, uh, yeah, you're going to have to do something else to get to your 21 uh, without our help for another two weeks. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yep. and maybe uh, maybe on uh, Friday of next week or Saturday we might we might have a have a little uh, fun zoom call where we can we can do things and you know explore you know shit like Asian milfoil and whatever and whatever fine detail that we should desire <laughs> uh, y'all have a great week gentlemen and uh, to everybody else who's listening at home y'all have an even better one get you on the R.I.P. Blankie <laughs> R.I.P. Blankie and Jazz mm-hmm. you were a and hell that, of a horse you are a hell of a horse